Welcome to Psychology Radiocast, a service of the Pennsylvania Psychological Association. I'm your host, Dr. David Zarung. In today's episode, we talk with Dr. Brad Norford, president of the Pennsylvania Psychological Association. Dr. Norford, welcome. Thanks, Dr. Zarung. It's it's a pleasure to be here, and you've done a wonderful job creating these podcasts for our members and, and uh, stepping in to do that in all sorts of ways. Well, it's been a wonderful uh, journey working with a wonderful team to get this going. A special shout out to uh, Judy uh, on staff and Amelia Herbst, who does our all of our editing, and she's our interest group chair. Brad, I wanted to ask you about your work with PPA, but before we get into that, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself outside of PPA? Oh, sure. That'd be great, David. Right now, I formed a practice in Bryn Mawr called Bryn Mawr Psychological Associates, and it was a practice of one back in the year 2000, and now there are 15 psychologists there, and I'm the director of that practice, and we have a specialty in treating children and adolescents. It's primarily family therapy and, and individual therapy, and uh, liaisoning with schools and the psychiatrists, and we've got some that does testing, and it's an all-psychologist practice, so it's, it's a lot of good uh, colleagues and professionalism there. One of your colleagues is uh, another PPA president. Yes, that's right. So Dia Silbertrust was my immediate predecessor as the PPA president, and she rents a room in the in the suite. She's got the corner office, so it's great to have Dia there. I grew up in Bucks County and did my uh, graduate school work at the University of South Carolina. I like the warmer weather, but uh, ended up back up here. Did my uh, child and adolescent internship in Newark, New Jersey, and eventually ended up back in Pennsylvania. My uh, spouse is Lamia Barakat, who is also a psychologist, and she works as a director in the oncology unit down at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And we've uh, raised three kids, uh, all of whom are adults now in college and grad school, and none of them went anywhere near the direction of our field, so they went in other ways, which is fine with us. We launched everyone two years ago, and then COVID brought everybody back home for about a year. So we just had our second launch in the fall and, and got the house back to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure it was good to have them back in the house again and and, uh, and reconnect. It was. My wife called it our bonus year. <laughs> well, Brad, what has your PPA journey been like, including your journey into leadership? So I joined PPA back in the early 90s, right after getting out of internship and grad school. and. The reason really was one of my professors back then just insisted in grad school that everybody join their state association as well as APA. And his point is we're, we're all on islands if we don't have parent organizations. And that was a lot of money to put back up back then to pay all the dues. But I really think the advice was very good. And uh, I always tell other people to do the same thing. The real reward was it was was after getting a PPA to just see how good the conferences were. The listserv had a lot of great information, and so I felt like I was getting good connection with people and and learning a lot from others. So it was a it wasn't just an organization that I was a member of, but one I was really benefiting from. I, started, I had a similar experience. Um, did you? When I was uh, completing my postdoc in a rural area in Pennsylvania, my supervisor suggested very strongly to join. PPA for many reasons, but in part to enhance professional connection with other psychologists and 
the Commonwealth. And um, I really valued that uh, as, a, as a great way to prevent professional isolation. Yes. And, and also just making friends like yourself. You and I have had a friendship for 15, 20 years through, through PPA, and we might only see each other in person once or twice a year, and I always look forward to it. So, Likewise. Thanks. So it's, it's been very good for that. Sometime in the late 90s, some of the political issues that the PPA uh, would get behind in, in terms of legislation attracted me. And I, I wrote a letter to and ran them by Sam Knapp, and he gave me some advice on them. And before too long, I got asked to be on the Pensai PAC, and that was my introduction into leadership. And I served on the PAC for about 17 years in various capacities and learned a lot about the legislative issues that psychologists support for the profession as well as the public. And that started overlapping with taking up other roles in leadership and on committees and board chairs and being on the board of directors for PPA. First, I was a treasurer for for a term or two terms, I guess, and then took a brief break and then was elected to be president. And that's what I'm serving currently. And as you know, as you're a past president of PPA, probably the greatest attraction for doing this is it's a great group of people to work with and the organization. I enjoy all the times that I get together with them. And the home office is just remarkable what they accomplish and do to support uh, all of us. Um, we get along well. And, and so it's a pleasure to to serve and be a part of that and for a profession grow in this state. Yeah, I, I often say that every PPA meeting that, that I attend, whether in person or virtual, refreshes within me. But what a wonderful set of colleagues that we have and what a wonderful association we have. Uh, that is the truth. And people get along well. So we've got differences in thinking, but it, it really grows, goes to the greater good in almost all times that we've been trying to figure things out. And so that's some of the intangibles for reasons for membership. How, you know, how do you put that experience into words, into a brochure? You know, it's a little bit challenging, but uh, experience it is very meaningful. Yes. And I think we've all been in different organizations or tried to work in leadership with groups that don't get along well and and then we we move on from them and don't and don't uh, stick with them year after year like we are with PPA. Well, Brad, what is your vision and what are your priorities for this presidential year for you? Well, uh, it's a good question, David. And as you know, when a new president comes in, they come up with a platform that gets some of the focus for the year a little bit. PPA operates on in many other ways, independent of what the president is putting out as a platform, but it's also a theme that goes through the year in the conference. And any of the ones that I had been thinking about in the year before really were preempted by the pandemic coming on and then also uh, the George Floyd murder. And so I really needed to shift to focus on these issues. And I think anyone coming in would do that. So I don't think that was any special thought on my part. It just that's what needed to be done. And so one of the areas of the platform really is to do a deeper dive in, in PPA's organization for equity, diversity, and inclusion. Are we doing the best job we can do? And looking throughout the organization at how can we do better, consulting with members who are psychologists of color, 
Also having a diversity officer on our board of directors and executive committee has all been helpful to that. And part of it was to make sure that our leadership reflects the diversity that's in our membership. We have a very white membership from age 60 up, which is about half the members, and a more diverse membership in our early career psychologists and grad students. And so we want them to be, they are our future, obviously. We're going to age out. People need to be coming up and we want to retain members and have them looking at our leadership and feeling like I, I can see myself in there too and want to stay with our organization and feel like their needs are important to us. So part of that, really a start, is, is having our leadership educate themselves. And I think a lot of the leaders have read books on these issues this year that there have been many, many good books out. Uh, we've had a variety of trainings for leadership um, along DEI types of initiatives and looking how to be a welcoming organization and also to make sure that we're building into the architecture of the organization that that diversity is we attract it and retain it and and bring members in not just say it but make a formal mechanism to to have those possibilities we also want to make sure that it's reaching our our members and so at this year's convention um, worked hard to have the keynote speaker the psychology and the luncheon speaker um, numerous symposiums during the presentation uh, during the conference all be uh, related to people of of different ethnicities and and marginalized communities so so there'll be a, a percentage of the of the talks there that that touch on these issues and and uh, are, are pretty broad based. And there's also some trainings in there for members who want to learn how to be better allies um, and to grow themselves in their work with diverse clientele. Uh, and also to be taking a look at their own unconscious bias and ways to to look at their own own work and organize other organizations they are in and and how to improve in those ways. So that is the probably the major part of the platform. I don't, I'm not an expert in those things. So, but I do feel like in my role, part of it is to just keep making sure that our membership moves along and our leaders in those directions that we're making those offerings and keeping this on the top of our topics list. And fortunately, as you know, from PPA, the, the home office staff is highly receptive to this and very supportive of, of anything that we want to do there. And psychologists in general are very supportive of being a welcoming community, concerned about clients that, that have concerns with these issues. So it's an easy audience, an easy sell to to bring this to PPA. Yeah, I'd echo that, that the staff have been very supportive and well, in whatever initiatives that, that the board brings up, but this is one particular area where I think the PPA staff have been excited about this. I think there's a strong interest among our membership as well. Yes, it really seems to be the case. I think it'll be a, a great conference this year um, coming up. I thought of one other way that we're trying to really make a difference is for our younger psychologists is to have much greater fundraising going on for the Pennsylvania Psychological Foundation this year and, and try to take it to new heights so that we can offer more scholarships and twice the amount of money as we've offered in the past and more of them. So, And a lot of those go to uh, diverse students and ones carrying a lot of debt from grad school. So this is something that I think will be well received and, and maybe retaining some talent. 
people want to stay at the organization. And PPA itself has been operating well financially and is going to match any donations from uh, that the foundation raises us here up to $25,000. And so any year that we're in the black in the future, we want to look to having a contribution from the PPA organization to its PPF fundraising component. If the listener is interested in taking advantage of that matching program, what should they do? Well, anyone can go on to the PPA website, and that is papsy.org, and then they can easily navigate there to uh, giving to the Psychological Foundation. And so with a couple clicks, they can make a contribution. They're greatly welcome. For folks who are considering membership, uh, maybe they're listening to you, and this is the first podcast that I've listened to from PPA. Um, what message might you have uh, for them in addition to what we've already talked about? Why join PPA? Great question. Uh, I'll mention, because um, it ties in with this, just a little bit more of platform for this year, because one fits just what you're saying there, and that is making sure that we get reconnected after this year of disconnect from um, the pandemic. And so for new people coming in, our membership chair, Michelle Wonders, hosts connecting hours, and we want to expand that to connecting hours for different diversity groups, as well as any new members coming in. We also are having a mentoring program that's getting built up. There's 85 people who've joined so far where senior psychology uh, members can mentor new people coming up. And so there's a place on the website to sign up for that. I think it's called Mentor City, or maybe that's the platform. I might be forgetting the name of it. It's kind of almost like like a dating service or something. You look at their profile and you pick someone out and say, hey, can you be my mentor or can you be my mentee? These are some of the offerings for new people. In the larger picture, it's it's connecting with other psychologists because we are in a field that can be pretty isolating. We're We're with people all day long but they're one-way relationships a lot of the time when they're with patients. And, and so this is an opportunity to have them be two-way relationships with, with your colleagues. They're great professional offerings and the amount that, that PPA brings in now through its continuing education offerings is really astounding. It's a, it's a major contribution to our budget, um, second only to the membership dues. And uh, so many people like to use our CE because of the high quality of it. That's, that is a way we bring in a lot of new people when they sample the continuing education. And that also can all be found on the website. Um, anyone has access to that. One of the things that, that I've noticed in the past year or so are reminders leading up to, the re, of, to licensure renewal and very concise bullet points on the requirements that are needed for licensure, how to use uh, the system uh, tips that uh, PPA has has garnered. And, you know, it occurred to me that if I was not a PPA member, I I wouldn't have that really helpful uh, resource. No, that's true. In fact, Aaron and Judy and Anne-Marie and Rachel and Molly pump out all kinds of content like this, those packaged one-page flyers that go to members about Uh, ethics issues and licensure and CE credits and uh, things that are different this year than non-pandemic years. So I I make copies of that and give it to all the members in my practice, many of whom are not in PPA. 
and I hope it's a good advertisement for the organization. Someone has said, um, maybe you can correct me on this if I'm off a little bit, that that psychologists in PPA have far fewer board complaints than psychologists not in PPA. Yeah, the what I remember hearing is uh, that PPA members are half uh, half the rate of board complaints compared to non-PPA oh. members. Yeah, and that's because of those sort of educational materials, or or the the listserv is another big draw where. There are over a thousand members on the listserv and I can put a question up like, hey, I had a difficult case and I can't tell whether I'm supposed to report to uh, children and youth services or not. And they will get replies within within the hour. They might have five or ten replies to give them some guidance. And that's a valuable uh, membership benefit. I mentioned, David, the last area of the platform, again, that's carried by other people more than me, but it's making sure that back from my PennSciPAC roots to make sure that we are keeping our eyes on any legislative issues and encouraging PPA members to support that. So certainly extending the telehealth options to for the psychologists and the public. So we don't want insurance companies pulling back on that prematurely um, and, and what parts of it can be made permanent um, because we now have people with disabilities getting services and people from far away who couldn't make it to a therapist or people who are pregnant or on maternity leave, so there's an access component that's wonderful. Psychologists are looking to become prescribers, so um, so having the uh, prescription authority legislation coming through in the upcoming years and the, the, the steps that keep being made each year for that. Keeping an eye on uh, anti-LGBT legislation and um, and then also being careful with insurance companies trying to devalue the the code that we've used for ages, the 90837, the, the full therapy session, and trying to really force therapists to use three-quarter sessions, um, which is this is a movement by insurance companies and trying to move our profession without research behind it to shorter sessions. And so that's another area we're trying to keep an eye on. Yeah, I've been amazed how both active and effective PPA has been regarding advocacy. Yes, and, and they're, they're well known for it in the country. We have a lot of leadership at the home office in that, and then psychologists who are able to raise the interest of the members to make calls to APA and to contact our, our state legislators for that. Well, so I remember back in the day, there would be challenges sometimes finding volunteer leaders to serve on committees or as committee chairs, although our rate of volunteerism within Pennsylvania uh, is uh, substantially higher than in many uh, states. But when I came in as president of the convention, and I remember being surrounded by earlier career psychologists, and they posed this question of, what can we do to move into leadership and become president ourselves? And there was such enthusiasm and eagerness and a desire to serve and a desire to to move into leadership. It just impressed me so much. We've uh, taken steps with with uh, different programs for developing leadership within Pennsylvania. But Brad, what advice do you have for psychologists who are, who are listening, who are interested in developing their own leadership skills, whether in PPA or in other organizations? Mm-hmm. Well, that's such an important question, David, because you you have to have our young people coming up and and taking our places as time goes on. 
and it's great to see the enthusiasm by some of our ECPs and some of the programs that PPA offered to develop leaders. It seems like just about every ECP that participated in that is now serving in governance in some way um, in, in PPA in, in, in some very valuable roles. So what we're looking for is when ideas are put out there, we would like to see younger psychologists or, or psychologists who've been a while, who've been around who haven't participated, to take the plunge, to not have a feeling of an imposter effect um, or syndrome, to just dive in. And they will find a lot of open arms there, um, happy to share wisdom and help them to take part in committees and eventually get a request, hey, do you want to chair a committee? It's my understanding that PPA has more committees than any other state psychological association in the country, even even a few states bigger than ours. So there are many opportunities and the number of psychologists participating is it it might be something like 300 people. I can't remember. It's very it's it's a great number of people involved in some way on committees. It's roughly 10 percent of the membership, if I remember right. Yes. And I would I would put it about there. So memberships around 3000. It's up to about 3,300 and something now. So I also think that one piece of advice I give to new psychologists when they're coming out of grad school is not to go too quickly into their own business, like getting their own practice or their own consulting company. I think it's a good idea to not focus on earning so much as learning from other people and getting mentored. Of course, you need to earn enough to, to pay off your bills and your debts, and you, you're, you're eager to do that after grad school. But those early years of having that mentorship is, is really critical to know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And a lot of the advice I got was from PPA psychologists. When you serve on committees, you get to learn a lot more because you're, you're rubbing shoulders more and having more meetings and you develop relationships with people through that committee work. So that's another kind of uh, unexpected benefit that a lot of people, I think, find by joining committees and working their way up through leadership. There is a nominations committee that um, looks for talent to serve as board chairs. And if a young member is interested who's been doing some governance work, they only need to mention this to anyone in the home office or to anyone in leadership, and they will pass that name on to nominations. And then to get on a committee, um, it's it's simply letting anyone on the existing committee or a, uh, a board chair, committee chair, know of that interest. And the president, the, the incoming president, works with, with um, Henry Frakes, our executive director, to select all the committee chairs for the next year. And we love having ECPs do this. So anyone who has an interest has a pretty good shot at being able to be on a committee. And most people find that the committee workload is not that high because they get a lot of help. And it's also they're choosing a committee that they have some personal interest in. So it, it goes a lot toward their own professionalism. And usually people say they feel like it's really been worth their investment. Brad, are there other things that would be good for listeners uh, to know from your vantage point as president this year? I'm just thinking of a difference now from any time in the past probably is we have more people in this country seeking services right now than from our profession, uh, the mental health professionals say, than, than perhaps any other time in its history. And 
and there are multiple reasons for that. One is the the pandemic and the amount of stress, like APA's Stress in America survey puts our numbers at much higher than, than in the last couple of decades. It's very high among the public. But secondly, people have a much greater awareness of mental health issues, and there's much greater acceptance now that they can do something about it and not have to be embarrassed or trying to keep it so private or letting people know. As we see athletes and and entertainers and other public people come out and seek services. So the problem we're having now is meeting that need. And so that's something that uh, toward the future, this is a profession that is growing rapidly. There's a need for psychologists and and all mental health professionals. And so I do see this as an, an area of growth and well worth encouraging young people to get into. Well, Dr. Norford, thank you again for joining us on Psychology Radiocast and best wishes on the rest of your presidential year. Thanks so much, David, and I look forward to the second half and the convention this year is at a very fun place that the Home Office picked out, Kalahari Water Parks and Resort. How can you get any better than that? It's a wonderful location. It is a clean, awesome water park attached to a a class a conference center it's it's really quite a quite a uh, facility there so i hope we get a, a record turnout of people coming out to it this year looking forward to it thanks so much for doing these david have a great uh, holiday break my pleasure you too brad thanks thanks for listening to this episode of psychology radiocast a service of the pennsylvania psychological association We'd love to hear ideas from you about important or fascinating topics that we might cover. Email us at ppa at papsy.org. You can also find us at papsy.org. Our project manager and audio editor is Amelia Herbst. Logo and artwork designed by Camille St. James. Music orchestrated by Raquel Emder and Ross Mann. Special thanks to PPA staffer Judy Huntley and PPA members Jessica Black, Bernard Seif, Kim Wesley, Lee Burnett, Cassandra Parrish, Lavanya Devdas, Nancy Raymore, and Molly Cowan for helping to make this podcast possible. As always, the views of our guests may not necessarily reflect those of PPA as an association. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. David Zarung.